Good morning, Summit online audience. This is Pastor Wayne from Summit Church of Douglas County, 4240 North Perry Park Road. It's not too late to get in your car and come on down for in-person worship today, or stay right where you're at. Share this link with a friend, whether it's you're on Facebook or YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram. Share this with a friend. Let them know the church is about to get started. We're gonna we got a great worship set, and I have a, a sermon today called "Holy Cannoli." Gifts from Rome. So we're going to be studying Romans, the, the book of Romans from chapter 4 to chapter 8 today. And it's going to be a really, really great time in God's Word. But this is your five-minute warning. So get a Bible, get a pen, grab a notebook, grab a friend, tell them the church is about to get started. This is five minutes, five minutes, and we'll get started.
we just give it back. We say, Lord, use it for your glory. All the pain, all the struggles, all the fear, everything from the past and everything for the future, Lord, we just lay it at your feet today. Speak to your church, we pray. how much God loves us. And we just don't deserve it. We just don't deserve how much He loves us. But He's deemed us worthy because He laid all the guilt that belonged on us. He put it on His Son, Jesus. And Jesus says, I offer my life for yours. In exchange for you, I give you me. So God gave us His best, and now we give Him our best. Amen? And this is a song we haven't sung in a while, but I love it. It's called How He Loves Us. And uh, man, it's just a revelation of His love.
here in a minute, but I want to read the one in your Bible. Oh, there goes everything. It's okay. We'll get that later. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Got a little toasty in here, huh? Yeah. Got the fans on full blast, I hope, I think, perhaps. June 13th in the One Year Bible, the highlighted verse. I know Tim was out here all day yesterday pulling weeds and all that stuff, so he's probably got a, a sore back and all that stuff. Tim's been known to overdo it sometimes. But here we are in June. June 13th, highlighted verse comes from Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to, to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake or suffer for my name's sake. The Apostle Paul, who once killed Christians and put them in jail and prison, suddenly God strikes him off his horse on his way to Damascus, strikes him blind actually, goes to this house on Straight Street, which you can still go to in Damascus today. And there's this one particular Ananias, a different Ananias from a later one, who gets a word from the Lord. Go to this house on Straight Street, and you're going to find this man named Saul. Lay your hands on him. I'm going to heal him. He's going to get his vision back, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for me and for my name's sake. And that was the beginning of the Apostle Paul's ministry. He went from Saul of Tarsus to being the Apostle Paul planting churches all over the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel, taking beatings and stonings and whippings and imprisonment. And eventually he was probably beheaded for the gospel under, under uh, the Caesars of, of Rome. And so there's a lot to learn from the life of Paul. There's a lot to learn from the book of Romans as we're gonna, as we're gonna dive into that today. And I know it's warm, so we're just gonna keep on trucking. Is that okay? So the sooner, the sooner I get to the pulpit, the quicker we can get out of here to get to our air conditioning and a lunch. Does that sound good? <laughs> I appreciate you enduring it. Those of you watching at home, you're welcome. You're, you're watching in air conditioning, so that's good for you. Awesome. Well, let's sing this one called You Are My King. You can sit, you can stand, you can do whatever you want. Oh, 
feel your presence in this room. We're not here for our comfort or for self-help talk. <laughs> We're here to connect with the living God. We're here for you to speak to us by the power of your spirit, your everlasting word that never goes out of style. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And so, Lord, as we open the book of Romans today, Lord, may we just exclaim, hallelujah. Holy cannoli, I cannot believe how good God is. I can't believe how much Jesus loves me. Lord, give us that overwhelming sense of your joy and your power and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you get too settled in your pew, would you stand up, say hello, wave, give a fist bump, do something to greet someone nearby, and we'll start with the word here in a minute. Hey everybody, glad you're joining us online. Um, if you want to support the ministry, you can text to give 303-625-9434. Text the amount of your give in the message, press send, follow the prompts using your smartphone. 100% of it you give by text will go to the ministry today. You can also go to mysummitchurch.com, click the donate button, or you can mail your gift to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Holy cannoli is the message of my the title of my message today. We're going to have a good time with that. So uh, share this with a friend. Let them know that uh, the sermon's about to get started. Sun, right? And we did that. We did that last Sunday, and it wasn't wasn't too bad. You know, we got lucky with the cloud cover at the church picnic last week. It was fun. I have a favorite dessert. Cannolis. You got it. There's a phrase that we said. There's a. That's right. There's a phrase we used to say back east. Some of you have heard me say it already. Holy cannoli, right? If you ever saw an outfielder catch an impossible catch or a batter hit a home run or a football pass land in the end zone, often you'd hear an Italian-American or someone from a, a city that has lots of Italians say, holy cannoli. And uh, I titled my sermon today, holy cannoli. And I want you to say holy cannoli with me as practice. Ready? Say holy cannoli. Holy cannoli. holy cannoli. I have a, in fact, I, if you're from the same family group, maybe you can share a cannoli. We'll just take one and break it off here. You can share it there. I'm going to take one. Share that. Kim can have the other half of mine. Uh, I love a good cannoli. I'm not saying this is a good cannoli, but it's the best cannoli you're going to get this morning at the church. Hmm. We found an Italian place here in Castle Rock that is reopened called the North End. And if you haven't, it's the old Rosa's Italian restaurant. They've remade it. And they do homestyle calzones, homestyle, they make their own pasta. And they, they, there's a, a pastry chef there that makes Italian 
um, sweets, and they make a cannoli that's unbelievable. And so I was thinking about this teaching about Romans. And of course, Paul went to Rome, which in modern day is the capital of what nation? Italy, yes, thank you. Okay, all the Italians, right? If you, if you travel to any major city, you know most cities are known for different things, right? London is known for fish and chips and um, Shakespeare and uh, the written English language and poetry, right? You go to, you go to uh, Denver, what are we known for? We're the high, mile high city, right? We're known for the mountains. We're, now we're known for cannabis, I guess. We're known, for, we're known for a lot of things. Maybe we don't want to be known for, but we are nonetheless. And Rome is a city that's known for cappuccino, right? It's known for pizza. It's known for high fashion, really expensive sports cars, and cannoli. And some of the best gifts that we get from Rome are not those things that I just mentioned, but Christianity. Christianity, in many ways, had its birthplace amongst the Gentiles in the city of Rome. And we're going to go through some pretty powerful theology about what Christianity is in these particular chapters we're studying today, Romans 4 through 8. Last week, we, we, we covered Romans 1 through 3 as we finished out the book of Acts and got into Romans. And the first, the first couple chapters was talking about kind of the, the universal need uh, for God or for the atonement or to overcome sin, right? And then uh, chapter 3, we're talking about Christ is the propitiation or the atonement or the, the, the substitute, our substitute for sin. Jesus himself made the way. You don't get saved because you're a good person. You get saved because Jesus was perfect. And he gives you the free gift of, of grace, of salvation. We receive it by faith. And it's not earned. It's not deserved. It's not payment uh, because you've been a good little boy or good little girl. <laughs> it's given to you because of faith. And so that he continues this discussion today as we start chapter 4 of Romans. And he's writing this book to the Christians in the city of Rome. Many of them are Jewish, many of them are Gentiles. And of course, the big conflict or the big controversy in the early church in this first century was, can you be a Christian and not convert to Judaism first? Like, do you have to become a Jew and then become a Christian? Because all the disciples in the beginning were all Jewish. You know, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was not Catholic, contrary to popular belief. Jesus was Jewish. Without, without a Jewish Messiah, you wouldn't have the Catholic Church. You wouldn't have Christianity as it is today. And so the big controversy was, do I have to be circumcised before I can become a Christian? Do I have to obey all the law of Moses? Do I have to keep the dietary laws? Do I have to go to synagogue on Sabbath? Do I have to do all those things that Jews do? I don't even know the first thing about Judaism. I don't even speak Hebrew. I don't know anything about that. And what was determined through miraculous means, through Peter and this vision that he had with Cornelius, through um, the, the teaching of the gospel in these Gentile cities all over the Mediterranean, is no, you don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. God died. Jesus came not just for one nation. He came for all the nations. He came for all the people, that all people would be reconciled to God the Father by grace through faith. And so... Uh, Paul addresses this controversy here in chapter 4, talking about the faith of Abraham. And here is in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, even though 
Abraham is the founder of the Jewish faith, right? He's also in many ways the founder of all Arabic people, right? He's because of us, what we believe as Christians, he's also the founder of faith for us as Christians because Christ was the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That he came to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He came for all people. And Paul is saying in this chapter, Abraham received that grace gift of just being justified with God because of faith, not because he was circumcised. And here's what he talks about. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Verse 9. Now this blessing is on, this blessing only for the Jews, or is it only for the, or, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? So this he's addressing the controversy. Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? You read the book of Genesis and read the Abraham account. It says, clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. It was only after he made a covenant with God that God commanded the circumcision. He trusted God by faith. It was counted as righteousness even while he was still uncircumcised. So technically, Abraham was a Gentile in that moment. He was an uncircumcised person. You know that Abraham was the first Jew of all the Jews? <laughs> right? He's the first man of peace of all the, all the men and women of peace. The firstborn of many brethren. Right? And Christ becomes that for us as well. Circumcision, he continues in verse 11, circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had the faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's saying, you could be Jewish, but your Judaism is not going to save you. If you're trusting in your law-keeping to save you, you're going to fall short. You're only going to be justified by grace through faith, the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Trusting in God, believing in God, knowing that you're not self-righteous, but your righteousness comes because God gifted it to you not because of any spiritual ceremony or exercise that you did. So clearly God's promise is given to the whole earth, to Abraham and his descendants. It was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then the faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. In other words, if you could save yourself, what would you need God for? You can't save yourself. Right, and that's true even after you become a Christian. You're not going to continue on as a Christian because you obeyed the law, because you were perfect. It's only by faith. And it's always going to be by faith. And that's very hard for us as humans to figure out because we're very religious. We want to somehow contribute to our own worth and value, proving to God that we deserve his love. Guess what? You have his love whether you deserve it or not. Well, how sad would it be if my kids said, well, Dad, I know you just can't love me today because it wasn't very good. Well, I don't, I don't love my kids any less when they're disobedient. Right? In fact, because I love them, I'll discipline them. But I, I don't love them less because they didn't obey me that day. 
Right? Amen? Parents? That's how God is. He's a good, good father. It's his nature to love and accept us and to help us. And I think you, can, you could struggle your whole life. And as long as you keep struggling, <laughs> going, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this person. Will you please help me? He's like, I'm here for you. I'm always here for you. Keep turning to me. And I, I find that those who struggle with God, eventually they overcome. For the law brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. And then a lot of people have that mindset. Well, if I just ignore everything in the Bible, if I just ignore everything about God, then it doesn't exist for me. La, 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 la. Do, 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 do. I don't have to listen to anything God says. Ba, ba, ba. I know that that is, you're whistling in the dark when you do things like that, right? You're ignoring the cliff when you're driving down the road in the middle of the night. It doesn't, just because you can't see the cliff doesn't mean it's not there. Hello. Right? So Paul continues in verse 16. He says, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. For if we live, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. The, the theological term for that is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Only God can take nothing and turn it into something. You know, science, for all the knowledge that we have, for all the genetic things that we have, for all the, our knowledge of the periodic table and all elements in the world, you know, science cannot create a grain of sand without something to start with. But God can speak something into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's amazing. And so I highlighted this in, in chapter 4, verse 20. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. doesn't say Abraham was righteous. <laughs> it says that God counted him as righteous. Aren't you glad that God will count you as righteous even when you're not righteous? Oh, thank you, God. Because I know I have bad days. Do you have bad days, anybody? Ooh, you ever mess up? You ever fall? Like, oh, there's no way God can forgive me. This is the 20 millionth time. Right? You ever felt that way? Oh, God, how do, you, how do you put up with me? I can't even put up with myself. How do you forgive me? I can't even forgive myself. Yet he does. He just says, keep turning to me. It'll be counted as righteous. Even though you may not be righteous, your faith will make up the difference. It's his goodness. It's not your goodness. That is so astounding. It's so unbelievable. And this case of Abraham makes the case for all believers everywhere at all times. It's not just, oh, it was true for the early church or for those first disciples or first apostles. No, it's core to the gospel. It will be true 100 years from now should Jesus not come back. It'll still be true. It'll always be true for every believer at all times. We're justified by grace through faith, not of works, not of anything that we've earned, not by being clever enough or smart enough or giving enough money or somehow self-sacrificing or punishing ourselves. That's not, that's not how it comes. 
It comes by a childlike, simple faith in the Lord. I know I've been hitting this pretty hard the last couple weeks, and yet I think it needs to be hit that hard because we all human beings, you name any tribe, any language group, any people group around the world, we're all religious. We somehow think that we can make our own way. We somehow want to go, no, God, I got this. And how many know you don't got this, right? I don't got this either. And we never will. We never will. So gift number one is the gift of justification by faith. Somebody say, holy cannoli. Holy Holy cannoli. Justification by faith? That's all I have to do is just believe? Holy cannoli. I cannot believe it. That's the best news ever. Gift number two, we're looking at Romans chapter five. Faith brings joy. When I finally realized the burden of the law is off me because it's been placed on Christ, then it changes my whole outlook on life. That out of the overflow of my heart springs like rivers of living water, Jesus says. That I be, my whole mind becomes rewashed and renewed every day as I let the Holy Spirit fill me. And the word comes inside of me and I start becoming a new person because the way I'm thinking is changing. God's Spirit is living inside of me. The things I used to want to do, I don't want to do anymore. The things that I didn't want to do before that were the things of God, now I want to do those things. I want to read my Bible. I want to go to church. I want to memorize scripture. I want to give. I want to help. I want to serve. Whoa, holy cannoli. I didn't want to do that before, but now I do. Isn't that something? And so faith brings joy. Here's what Paul says in chapter Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they will help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how clearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It's powerful stuff. Joy in Christ. Joy in Christ, which leads to how does it work? How, how does, I'm going to turn this up a little just for those online because I think I'm a little low. How does it work? How does it work? Mankind Right? God was created, I mean, Adam was created in God's image. But Adam and Eve chose to sin. They chose corruption, right, over an in- intimate relationship with God. Through one man, sin entered into the world. How could that be re- remedied? How could that be fixed? Well, this passage talks about the second Adam, the second firstborn of the Father, who is Christ. That's why the virgin birth is important. Because Jesus was a direct descendant from the Heavenly Father. Just as Adam Adam was God's son, Jesus is God's son. And through that second Adam, through God's son Jesus, righteousness, grace, peace, holiness comes into the world. A, a, A serum, an antidote, a vaccine for sin's problem. It actually fixes the sin problem. Here's what he says. Adam sinned and sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet a law to break. Still, everyone died 
from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not obey, disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, who is yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. And we'll continue. Even as Christians, we're still going to sin. We're not happy about it, but we know it's going to happen. For the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because if one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as, God, as people sinned more and more, now you can underline this in your Bible, I've underlined it in mine, God's wonderful grace became more abundant so that just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The second gift, better than cappuccino or high fashion or expensive sports car from Rome, Holy cannoli, it's the joy of Christ. It's the joy of knowing Christ. It's the joy of that substitution. I'm no, no longer under wrath anymore because of that second Adam, because of what Christ has done. I'm declared righteous. I'm in the family. I'm in, I'm in the family. I'm in the family. I understand. I love you. I'm in the family now. You've been, you've been bought with blood into the family. Very Italian when you think about it. Right? <laughs> You've been clicked up into the Jesus Mafia. You're in. You, you, you can't get out anymore. Like Pacino said, like, I try to get out, but they keep pulling me back in. That's how, the, that's how the kingdom of God works. That's the Holy Spirit. I try to get away from God. Like C.S. Lewis called the Hound of Heaven. He hounds me down and gets me back in. I can't leave anymore. I belong to God. I can sin, but I'm not happy about it. I could try the other things I used to do, but uh, they've lost their flavor. They've lost the excitement. They've lost the uh, whatever. The I don't know what. They've lost it. I don't have the same enjoyment of my sin knowing what it's doing to me. Right? And that's a pretty powerful thing. And that leads me to gift number three in chapter six. Gift number three is the power to live holy. The power to live a righteous life. Sin's power is broken. Holy cannoli, I don't, have, I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to. I don't have to get drunk anymore. I don't have to get high anymore. I don't have to sleep around anymore. I don't have to do any of the things that I used to do anymore. Sin's power over me is broken. I can live free for the rest of my life. 
I don't have to re-enslave myself to that stuff anymore. I can live joyous, happy, and free. <laughs> Amen? Amen? See, a lot of people think when they live a sinful life that they're, they're living in liberty. Actually, you're just signing yourself up for more slavery. You're just signing yourself up for more heartache, for more difficulty. What sin has done is broken, what Jesus has done is broken the power of sin off of your life. So you're no longer a slave to your appetites, to your desires, to your mindsets, to the strongholds that the enemy has built in your life. That's amazing. It's amazing. And that false sense of liberty is what the devil keeps trying to sell to the world. Uh, you don't have to get married. Just live together. It's fine. Oh, you know, just, just drink this. Uh, just take this pill. Just do this. Just do that. Come on. Nobody will know. Right? Come on. Isn't, isn't that the spirit of the age? That you're free. You can do whatever you want. You're actually not free. You're, you're enslaving yourself to that issue of your life. Why would I enslave myself to the power of the enemy when Christ has set me free and I'm truly free? Power of sin is broken. Here's what he says about that in verse 8, Romans chapter 6, verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know that we'll also live with him. And we are sure of this. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not live in, uh, give in to sinful desires. And do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For if you were dead, for, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. And then I've highlighted this in my Bible. You might want to highlight it in yours. It says, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. I'm free. I don't ever have to drink again. I don't ever have to do drugs again. I don't ever have to sleep around again. I don't ever have to do all the things I used to do. I am free. Sin's power is broken off of me. The, the spirit of Christ lives inside of me and I don't have to bend to what the world's mold of what they think I ought to be is anymore. I can live for the opinion of one and what he thinks is most important. I don't care what other people think about me. I care about him. I care about what the Heavenly Father thinks. I, I care about what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How should I behave in a way that does the, the most good and gives the most glory to the Father? What's the most loving thing I could say? What's the most loving thing I could do? And what am I holding on to? What, what areas of my life do I have bitterness and unforgiveness that are holding me back from spiritual growth and development? Can I submit those things to God and say, okay, God, this is really hard, but I'm going to forgive not only do I want to be free, but I want them to be free. I release them. I release them from any revenge or harm or retribution. I, I'm going to live in such a way that I'm at peace with God and I'm at peace with people. That's huge. That's huge. Because you, if you get free from bitterness, hate, and unforgiveness, you'll truly be free. Like you'll be able to look at people in a way that's neutral. 
Even though they maybe hate your guts, you can love them back. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't get you at all. I've been so cruel, I've been so mean, and yet you've just only been kind to me back. That, that, that's otherworldly, that's, that's supernatural. That's not normal. It's not natural, it's supernatural. It's a grace gift. Not only is salvation a grace gift, but having that personality of Jesus, it's the power to live a holy life. You couldn't do it through self-effort, could you? You couldn't do it on your own. When you tried to be good, you couldn't do it. But when you said, okay, God, I surrender. Come on in. Have your way. Suddenly, he gave you the motivation. He gave you the ability to do what you couldn't have done. Isn't that amazing? Holy cannoli. I can't believe it. Somebody say holy cannoli. Holy. Holy I just cannoli. love it. I just love it. <laughs> All right. Chapter 7. The fourth gift is this, the freedom within boundaries with Jesus. Freedom within boundaries with Jesus. How many of you ever seen, there, there are wild horses in Douglas County. You guys know that? For nice. I got some. Oh, what's happening? Uh, turn off iTunes. There you go. I guess, I guess uh, Kim's into house music back there. That's nice. That was my preaching from 2013, I think. That's good. Uh, so we're talking about what am I talking about? Freedom from the freedom within boundaries. So you guys seen some of the wild horses here in Douglas County? Have you seen? There's a riverbed on I think it's the Plum Creek Riverbed area by Castleview. There's maybe 75 to 100 wild horses that run up and down the canyons there. They're not fed by anybody. They're not taken care of by anybody. They're mustangs. They're stallions. They're all kinds of crazy. And they're pretty scruffy looking. And they just they figure out how to live and eat the grass and get water by going to the creek themselves. And a lot of those horses will live a very short life because they're not cared for, right? They'll die on their own or, you know, any number of things can happen to horses like that. And that, can I tell you, that's a lot like what the sin nature is for us as, as human beings. When I go, I want to be free. I don't want to be inside the gate. I don't want to be inside the fence. I'm my own boss. No one tells me what to do. Well, you're out there on your own, aren't you? You've got to figure out how to feed yourself. You've got to feed out, figure out how to stay protected. You're always under threat. You can never sleep right. Like everything is going wrong. How many know when you get a horse and a good stable and it has a good rancher and they get a rub down every day and they get three square meals and they get some oats and they get some carrots and they get some water and they get some hay and they're taken care of. Those horses live a lot longer. You know that? Well, that's what the Christian life is like. The church of God and the, the principles of discipleship are like a good corral. The house of God is like just a, a good stable for us wild horses to come running into. Okay, okay I, I don't like all this. I might buck up against some of it. But you know what? I know I need, I know I need this place. I need, I need the heavenly rancher to come and adopt me, take care of me, and show me where the corral is and keep me from running wild and hurting myself. The corral is there to protect the horse. It's not there to limit its freedom or to make it feel bad or somehow say, you're a bad horse. No, it's because it's you're a good horse and we want to take care of, of it, of you. That you have a corral, that you're protected, you're safe. This is where the food is. This is, this is how we keep the predators away. And that's how the, the laws and the, and the truth of God and the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of the Lord, it's like a good corral for a wild horse. We come into that place where it's freedom within boundaries. Man, that's good. And so here's what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 7. We're no longer bound to the law. 
He says, for example, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 2. For example, when, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with him, with the one who has raised him from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we, when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. But the law aroused these evil desires and produced a harvest of sinful deeds, be, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and no longer capped to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. God reveals, the law, God's law reveals our sin, and it shows us how sinful we are, and we're thankful that the law shows us what God has commanded. We know those things are true. But if all I do is just try to obey the law, all I'm doing is just trying to, walk through the motions without, without the Spirit of God inside of me, I will become bitter and angry at God. I'll be bitter and angry at the church. I'll be bitter and angry at the Bible. I want to disprove things that I hear Christians say because I don't want to be controlled by your rules. Come on, right? Hello? Ever met people like that? Maybe you've been a person like that. Well, can I suggest that maybe what you need is a good dose of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you? You need the love of God. You need a revelation of how much Jesus really loves you. And you start going, he didn't give me the rules to be a killjoy. He didn't give me the rules to try to control me. He gave me the rules because he loves me. And I had to love myself enough to see that I'm hurting myself through these things that I'm doing or not doing. So the sin struggle is real. And God sets the boundaries, not me. See, that's the other thing that we try to do when we're living outside of the law, when we're living outside of the Bible and outside of what God has commanded, we try to make up our own little system, right? We try to make up our own little personalized religion, like sal I call it salad bar spirituality. We're like, I'll take a little bit of this, but I'll leave that. I'll take these parts. I don't like that. So I'll just make up God, a God of my own crafting and worship that. You know what they call that in the Old Testament? Idolatry. You're crafting a God in your own image. We're, we don't craft God in our image. We are made in his image. That's the difference. And so we, we, we do struggle with sin. And here's what Paul says about this in chapter 7. He says, So the trouble with me is not the law, for it is spiritual and good, but the trouble is with me. And I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. This is chapters, Romans 7, uh, verse 18 now. And now I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Come on, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like being a human being? It says, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it, right? That's a sin nature that's been put in there since Adam. 
Through one man, sin entered into the world. We're born into sin. We have the sin nature. And as long as I'm living in this body, I will be tempted towards sin. And I will be a slave to its power until I let the Holy Spirit come in and give me that overcoming power of, of Christ. Paul continues, verse 21. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me, and that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. <laughs> the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you, are, you, you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sin nature, I am a slave to sin. Welcome to the Christian life. We don't do this stuff perfectly, right? We're really not saints. We're saints in that we've been adopted into God's family, but we're going to misbehave. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But you're not a failure just because you fall. You only fail if you refuse to get up. Keep struggling, keep fighting that good fight of faith. So that last gift was the gift of freedom within boundaries. Holy cannoli, I can't believe we get that. Fifth one, fifth one and final one, chapter eight. The gift of true spirituality, a promise of heaven and unity with God. How do we do this? It's all been sort of conceptual here today, hasn't it? Like by faith, through grace, Yes, I'm going to sin struggle. How do I do this? This is kind of weird. What you're talking about, I, maybe I've had moments of it. Here's what Paul says about life in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. So now there, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I'm going to say that again. So now, if you really believe this gospel, if you really believe God's Spirit lives inside of you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Doesn't say you won't struggle, but it does say that you will overcome if you let the Holy Spirit fight with you in the struggle. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sin nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. Whew. It's good to know that we have a savior that can relate to our problems. He's tempted in every way and yet without sin. That's what makes him such a wonderful savior. And then in verse three, or actually verse, uh, is it six? So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. It says, but you are, in verse 9, Kim, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the, the spirit of God living in you. How do you do this? Well, first of all, you don't do this. The spirit does this in you. You let him do it through you. That might sound very metaphysical, almost mysterious. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I can't explain to you exactly how God does it. But all I know is that I have let him come in. And when I let God have his way, 
things go much better for me. <laughs> when I try to be the boss and I tell God how he should run his universe, things don't go so good for me. Things are, in fact, they're a real mess when I'm running the universe. But when I let him be God, everything changes. And then verse 9, you're not controlled by the, by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit living inside of you. Verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies so that this same Spirit, by the same Spirit living in you. Therefore, now, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. How many ever heard people say, I just couldn't help myself. The devil made me do it. How many people just shift responsibility? She, she, just over she just overcame me. I just couldn't help myself. They pulled me in. I just couldn't say no. Yes, you could. Especially if you're a Christian. You turn to the Lord and say, God, help me in this moment. Help me to overcome. I have no obligation to do what the sin nature tells me to do. I, I'm under new management now. I have new obligations. I have an obligation to live to please him. Amen, somebody. And so now we call him Abba, Father. Verse 16 of this chapter says, For his spirit joins with our spirit and, and to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Not a popular teaching. You're not going to hear a lot of people share that or talk about that. It's in here. Sometimes the Christian life is hard. But it doesn't mean it's not worthy of living. Right? Verse 18. Promise of future glory. Yet we suffer now. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. For we know that all creation has been groaning. Verse 22, Kim. For we know that all creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, what he wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. See, Paul, I believe here is referring to that prayer language again. A couple Sundays ago, I got a message in tongues and interpretation. Some of you were here when that happened. I believe there are two kinds of tongues and the gift of tongues that Paul refers to in Corinthians and in Romans. And Just press the mute button, Kim. Want to help her, Johnny? You're, you're computer savvy. Just and turn. Hope. See that? He's got a future and hope for Summit Church. That's for you guys. Holy Spirit's running the show here today. Just press the mute button. 
There you go. There you go. Volume down. Good. So we, we know that all things work together for good. There's a, there's a gift of tongues, and I believe there's two kinds of tongues. What I, what I shared with you that two Sundays ago was a message of tongues and interpretation. It was a prophetic utterance. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying something in the church. I gave the message in tongues. I gave the interpretation. I also believe there's a, there's a gift of tongues for personal spiritual edification. When I speak in tongues in my you know, quiet time or prayer time at home or if I'm driving the truck and I'm and praying in the, in the spirit or praying in tongues, I don't necessarily know what I'm praying. Um, I don't get an interpretation, but I believe the Holy Spirit is making intercession on my behalf when I'm praying in tongues. I don't know exactly how that works. Again, it's a mystery, but utter mysteries with our spirit. But I believe God could be praying for things that are going to happen or things that did happen or things so deep in my mind I couldn't even fully understand it. Like there could be a car accident that I was going to be in that day, but God says, hey, go right here. Instead of going down and going right over there, I need you to just change the way you go home. Have you ever go home a different way because you just got a wild idea, wild hair? Like, I'm going to go the other way. Sometimes I think God gives those little prompts in your spirit. Some of that maybe come, comes by prayer. Who knows how many times we've been protected because of prayer. And so we know that all things are, work together for good for those who love God and calling according to his purpose. Let me wrap it here. He finishes it with, I think, one of the most inspired pieces of written language in human history. Whether in English or Hebrew or Greek, I think this is one of the most powerful bits. I'm just going to read it, and I'll, I'll land the plane here. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Amen. Verse 31 of Romans, is it 30? yeah, 31 of Romans 8. What should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No, in the power of the sky or above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, amen, amen. You can't outsin his love. You can't outsin his grace. He loves you, period. You're in the family. Holy cannoli. I'm in the Jesus Mafia. I belong. I've been bought. I'm a made man. You're a made woman. You're in the family forever. I try to get out, but he keeps pulling me back in. Isn't that the wonderful thing about Jesus? You can't run away from him. 
He knows. He knows. He sees. He sees you. <laughs> and that's the most wonderful thing. If you'll just embrace it. I belong to Jesus. He belongs to me. There's no getting away. <laughs> I may try. I may try to run. But I can't hide from him. I belong to him. Isn't that good? Well, maybe you don't know the Lord like that. You could be watching or listening online. You're like, I'm not a made man. When I hear that, I, I might go, holy cannoli. I've never heard anybody talk like this about God. That's okay. You just have, maybe haven't experienced that grace gift yet. You haven't said yes to Jesus. You haven't opened your heart to say, okay, God, you call the shots now. You can do it real easily. It's just a matter of saying yes to him and then making the decision from this moment forward, God, you're the Lord. I'm going to let you call the shots. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live with you as the boss of my life. If you want to do that, would you pray this prayer with me? Church, pray it out loud for those who might be praying it. Say, Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures. Give me a revelation of your love. That I might know just a taste of how much you love me. I want to walk with you, Jesus, from this moment forward. In your name, amen, amen, amen. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, so we're glad that you're here today. I know it was a warm one. Thanks for hanging with me. Um, the... Uh, the next big event on the calendar is our Worship Under the Stars. So I know that's uh, July 4th, and I think we may, we're, we're going to try to pull out the inflatable screen to do movie night that night and do like uh, some live uh, worship under the stars and then watch fireworks. So it'd be like a one-hour experience for the, the music and whatever Bible time we might have. And then my thought is that after the fireworks, may we do some Pixar shorts, not a full-length movie, but a couple maybe short kids' movies. Does that sound good? So, Bruce, I don't know if you can find that flatbed, how we did the movie screen last summer, but we're going to, well, so we'll do, we'll do um, a drive-in movie, watch the fireworks, and worship under the stars, and you'll be able to sleep in on that Sunday morning, July 4th, all right? That'll be our little patriotic reward to ourselves on, on that Sunday. So, um, I think that's the main announcements I, I have here today. Did you have anything, Ron? No, I think, I think we're good. So um, anyway, we appreciate you being here today. Well, why don't you stand? I'll give you the blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. Lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Holy cannoli. It was good to see you today, everybody. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift to 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. 
comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.